0: friends, welcome back to Parenting for the Culture on the Black Love Podcast Network. I'm Sheree Sims and today I've got something a bit different for you. You all have heard about the tragedy in Buffalo, New York. And it made me think about how trauma shows up in our parenting. And I am not a trauma expert, but today my guest is. She is Kobe Campbell, an award-winning licensed trauma therapist, Christian counselor, writer, media expert, and speaker. She was named one of Charlotte's most influential women by Charlotte Lately Magazine and awarded as the rising star under 30. By Wilma Magazine, and is a decorated and highly sought out speaker, preacher, and educator. And today, we're talking with Kobe Campbell. Welcome. Hi, I'm so
1: glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Sharice.
0: I'm so glad to have you here. And thank you. This was, y- Y'all, I literally reached out to her on Instagram yesterday, and she was like, I'm down. I'll be there. So thank you so much for taking time to be here with us and sharing your expertise and your energy. I'm very excited to have you. Um, so I like to start with the peak and pit of our days. That's something that I do with my children at the dinner table to open up conversation. So tell us, what is the peak and pit of your day? The peak of
1: my day, I am in the process of writing my first book and the peak was just getting in a groove and just being in nice, beautiful silence, having hot coffee that was still hot when I drank it and getting in my groove. I would say,
0: yes, that's a win. <laughs>
1: It is it is a went to ingest it while it's hot is divine, to be quite honest. And I would say the pit of my day is just tired. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. ah, kids and sleep and mommy can I lay in bed with you? And then you say yes. And then you don't sleep for the rest of the night. So I think the pit would be mom fatigue for
0: sure. Yeah, definitely. I feel you. I stay mom fatigue all the time. Um, Well, I think the peak and pit of my day. Oh, I had my peak earlier. What was it? I don't know. It's been a good day. Oh, the peak of my day was actually. <laughs> so I went to go move my car for street cleaning. It was on the street and I had to move it by uh, 12. And my husband happened to be home today. Uh-huh. Um, so I went out to move my car. And when I got in my car, I was like, you know what? I need a coffee. So I drove to go get a coffee instead of just moving my car across the street. And then I was like, you know what? I need yes. a book from the bookstore. So I went to the bookstore yes, and got do. myself a book. <laughs> and while I was out I like ran into one of my friends and he's like what are you doing I like your socks because I had on socks and sandals because I again was just moving the car (laughs) and ended up at the mall and he's like let me buy your coffee for you so I got a free coffee I got my book I got like an hour to myself with you know to just do me and and moved my car and didn't Uh. get a ticket so that was the peak of my day um and the pit of my day is my neck So I think that has to do with, like, mommy fatigue also. My twins and my six-year-old have been piling up in the bed every night, and I found myself in the most awkward position the other night, smushed in between my husband and three children, and my neck is, like, on fire. So if you see me moving funny, that's why. Oh, my goodness. And I have so
1: much empathy and love for twin moms. So I'm a twin, and my husband's a twin as well.
0: Get out of here. You're both twins. We're both
1: twins. We were both. We try to hook up our siblings, but then we couldn't explain what our children would be. So we just let it go. (laughs) We're like cousins. That's so funny.
0: Sisters. (laughs) We're going to let that one go. You're like, you know what, guys? Maybe this isn't a great idea. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally what happened. We're like, go about your lives. (laughs) That's so funny. All right. Well, I just want to hop right in. So we have had, you know, several events lately that have happened that are traumatic, especially in the black community um and Absolutely. it's it's one of those things i don't even know how to start the topic cuz it seems like we're always at this point every every month every few weeks it's like another event here's another trauma another thing happening and so it's almost like always the right time to address it um but sure. with the most recent events in buffalo new york i know that a lot of us are feeling it and a lot of us myself included Our children are getting older and they're getting exposed to social media. These things are showing up and it's something we have to deal with, not just as a person, but now as a parent. And actually, I kind of want to start with a a story in my experience. So for sure, I'm biracial. My mom is white. My dad is black. And I -hmm. was raised by my white mother. I share that because I think there are a lot of realities for a black individual growing up in America that white people Mm -hmm. do not experience (laughs) right that's obvious and not only do they not experience them but they are blind to a lot of them they don't see them and I grew up really being taught that a lot of this was kind of in the minds of black people you know if a black person said oh Mm -hmm. I got pulled over while driving while black there was very much so this pushback of like are you sure your taillight wasn't out are you sure you didn't use your blinker are you sure you didn't roll the stop sign and I remember even when I first started dating my husband, I had that like that was given to me that mindset of like, well, are mm. you sure you didn't do something wrong? And over time, you know, as I grew up, I started having my own experiences being pulled over for doing absolutely yep. nothing. I was pulled over and they asked me, um, you know, if we if we take you to the station who's going to pick you up? Is your dad going to pick you up? Do you even know who your dad is? Wow. They were just asking me crazy questions and saying like, um, Mm -hmm. if we were, oh, they said to me, I saw that you got out of a ticket before. What'd you do for that officer? And what are you willing to do for us? And I'm 18 years old on a dark street by myself. And that was probably one of the first times that I'm thinking like, this is real. Like, I literally, I'm Mm -hmm. leaving my friend's house on a Friday night after Bible study. (laughs) Like, we just colored in coloring books together. I'm (laughs) completely, like, I'm a good person. I just pulled out of a parking spot on the side of the street, and you all are pulling me over because I did not use my blinker to get out of this spot. And now you're asking me if I know my dad like this stuff yeah. is real. And so for me, it is that real. that was a hard transition kind of going from being raised to thinking that racism really was gone. We had come out of it yeah. and then realizing how prominent it was. And the last story I'll share is like even more than that experience, which of course, since then I've had several was the murder of George Floyd and we were, it mm. was during the pandemic and it's all over social media. It's all over the news and my then, yeah. I think she was eight years old at the time, my daughter found out what happened. And I really don't remember how she found out. I don't remember if I told her. I don't remember if she saw it. I don't know if she heard me talking to somebody. But she found out, oh, my, I'm, like, about to cry just thinking about it. Um, And she yeah. literally, like, fell to the ground. Fell to the ground, mm. shaking and crying and just collapsed in my lap and My heart had never felt so shattered to just feel like, wow, this thing that I have to protect my child against, how do I protect her? And I was so unprepared for this because I was told that this didn't even exist. And now here I am having to figure out how to explain it, how to protect her Mm when I'm feeling so shattered. And so for me, it was like so many realities just shattering a new reality being built. One in which my child is living in and growing up in and just so devastating. And now it's, you know, it just continues to happen and we continue to see it. So one of, I don't like, where do we even start with that? (laughs) Where do we start?
1: You know, I, you know, before I even jump into where we start with that as, as black parents, as parents raising black children, um, I just want to say I I am with you and I feel every single word that you say and I, I'm just so grateful you trusted me and us with that story. George Floyd in that time was actually when I really started um, getting more serious into the ways that I would shift my parenting. Um, I found out I was pregnant with my second born two days before lockdown started. And oh, wow. my entire pregnancy... Yeah, it was, it was wild. My entire pregnancy was in the most stringent part of lockdown. Um, mm-hmm. I almost died with my first uh, child because of, you know, medical negligence and being dismissed um, by my doctors. And so I, I was terrified to uh, be pregnant again. And this time I had to do it alone mm. because my husband couldn't come with me to the appointments. He couldn't be that sense of support. He had to sit in the car. And so... I dove into the idea of positive parenting, which I I have come to just believe is appropriate parenting. We're meeting our kids' right. needs that are appropriate for their developmental age because I realized I cannot, in the way that many parents can, protect my children's bodies the way that I want to. Right. That is a so such an incredibly difficult but real thing I had to face. And I knew that my job as a parent, understanding how trauma is passed on, understanding how the emotional safety that I show my child and the sense of goodness and belonging that I show them as I parent them, that that gets genetically encoded to them, no matter how someone else treats them. Our first experiences set the foundation for who we belong who we believe ourselves to be mm-hmm. and so my kids their first experiences with me are going to be that they're good that they're loved yes. that they belong no matter what anyone says yes. and i shifted my parenting from i have to prepare you to experience this injustice to i am giving you a foundation so that you know that this injustice is secondary to your identity and not primary
0: and so I think Beautiful. that's why you're, you're about to take me to this church. I, I feel myself saying, hallelujah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's go, <laughs> let's go. That's why this parenting is so important because, you know, I think historically, because we needed to, we were so consumed with keeping the physical body safe. Right. Forgetting what it meant to keep our keep our children's hearts and minds safe, which then affects the body. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want my child to define themselves only by getting pulled over or the injustices that I know they will face as bl- little black boys. I know they will face those injustices. I want them to think that those injustices are a reflect- a reflection of this broken world and not of who they are. Right. Not of who they are. And so... My husband and I took a little while for him to get on board, but my husband and I, we committed to giving our son as much grace as we feel like we've gotten from God. Mm -hmm. Committed to giving our son as much love and mercy and kindness and that we would be as gentle and uh, fun loving and free with him. Because if the world is not going to let him be free, he needs to know that he can be free with us. That's beautiful. But there is a place where he can be free,
0: you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. And I think especially in the work that I do, that's a big question that is, I won't even say it's a question. People don't pose it as a question. It's more of a challenge. Like you're not preparing them. You know, there's like, how can you treat them that way? They're not going to be prepared. They're not going to be ready to go out there and face the world as it is for them. And I have that same feeling and belief. Like if they're going to deal with... (laughs) tragedy and hate and harm i need to provide them a safe space somewhere they have to have that somewhere yeah. they need to be able to come back to that yeah. they need to believe that that is what they're deserving of they need to know that that is that's where their worth and value is and they need to be able to recognize when something other than that is in front of them that yep. that they're in a bad situation not not a just situation Absolutely. not a fair situation yep. not a situation that yep they put themselves in, but they are in a bad situation that they don't deserve to be in. And I need them to believe that wholeheartedly.
1: I think that one thing um, we need to unlearn as black parents is just because we developed resilience and determination and perseverance through our trauma does not mean that's the only way to develop those qualities. Mm -hmm. And so when we say, oh, like they're not going to, going to be prepared for the world or they're not going to be ready. What we're really saying is the only way I learned how to exhibit determination, perseverance is through enduring hardship. Right. It was through withstanding trauma. It was through getting beat. It was through being berated on a regular basis. And that made me stronger and that made me resilient and that made me disciplined and that made me who I am today. But just because you and many of us got those positive traits out of and uh, I, I hesitate to even say positive because they appear positive mm-hmm. externally. I would say performative traits mm-hmm. that's a better way to say it just because we got those performative traits from our trauma does not mean that trauma is the only thing that can pr- produce those traits. There is such thing as warm sturdiness mm. being able to be warm and kind to someone and be incredibly boundaryed out of your love for them and not out of fear. nothing good comes out of fear. yes nothing meaningful comes out of fear, right? That's literally the root of racism is
0: fear. Right. It's interesting that you say that. And it actually was kind of one of my questions that I was going to ask you as a trauma therapist, one, how would you define Mm -hmm. trauma? But also what is its purpose? Like if, if I kind of think Mm. of the movie Inside Out, it's one of my favorite movies where all these emotions are there. And typically as parents, we kind of lean towards feeling like our children should feel happy all the time, And that sadness doesn't have a place or it's not good, right? But in that movie, for instance, sadness is actually a very powerful tool. So what does trauma do for us or give to us? How, you know, you talked about that it's something that can genetically even be passed down. I'd love for you to touch on that a little bit. But for sure, I guess I just want to understand a little bit more about trauma. Like what is its purpose or is it just something a result of something that happens when trying to protect yourself or when you get harmed i don't know absolutely so the word trauma literally
1: translates to the word wound trauma is any wound from the past that affects how you show up in the present and anticipate the future Any wound that is from the past that affects how you show up in the present and how you perceive the future. So a really simple way of even recognizing trauma is when someone says, I'll never blank again. Once you have had an experience that has made you say, I will never blank again, or you won't ever catch me doing blank again, that's trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about what trauma is in the brain, trauma is this over um, stimulation. Of, I'm going to get nerdy here. This overstimulation of our amygdala, which is a part of our limbic system. The purpose of the system is to let us know when we're in danger. Mm-hmm. Right. To say, hey, you're in danger. You should run. You should freeze. You should fight for your life. Right. But what happens is when you experience trauma that's unresolved, that danger system stays on. Mm -hmm. It never turns off. So what happens when your kid runs into the room and they're screaming because they're excited? Well, your brain's registering that as danger, even though it's joy, right? So it it affects the calibration of how we perceive the world. And then it leaves the body in such a heightened state. We're never meant to be in a heightened state where we're uh, experiencing adrenaline and cortisol pumping through our bodies constantly because those things are hormones that are meant to be released momentarily. So when we have them released all the time, it affects our concentration. Mm -hmm. It affects our ability to absorb nutrients. You could be eating all the great foods and you're still not getting the nutrients you need. Your body is ready to fight not ready to rest not ready to recover it affects your ability to engage with the world around you it affects your ability to concentrate to sleep all these things but when we leave it unresolved the effects of trauma literally leave a marker in our dna Mm -hmm. this is called epigenetics a marker in our dna that if not resolved and we
0: give birth to children is passed down wow I love learning the actual science of this. And I feel like I'm out of TED Talk. I absolutely love it. But that's that's crazy. I mean, it's It's crazy. And it's amazing to think, not amazing in a good way, but in the sense of yeah. um, how much can even be passed down that we don't even know about. I, I read yeah. the book by Dr. Perry and Oprah, What Happened to You? Have you read that yet? Yes, yes. Phenomenal book. It's phenomenal. And there's yes. a portion of the book where he talks about How even a fear of a dog can get passed down with nobody ever telling you about it, right? He talks about how you can have one family member who maybe got attacked by a dog and now they're scared of dogs. And so they Mm -hmm. raise maybe your grandmother uh, in a way where they're like, stay away from that dog. Dogs are dangerous. And so your grandmother gets this message of dogs are bad. Now your grandmother has your Mm -hmm. dad. And every time she walks with him, she squeezes his hand a little bit tighter and pulls him a little bit closer when she sees a dog. Now, she may not have ever said to him, dogs are bad, but he got this nonverbal communication that dogs are not good. Now, here you are saying, dad, can we get a dog? And he's like, no, dogs are not good. But never he never even knew that his grandfather was attacked by a dog. And doesn't even know why he doesn't like dogs. It's just something that's kind of like it keeps going and is passed down from generation to generation. And when I think about that and think about our generation of parents who seem very interested in breaking cycles and breaking these trauma cycles, especially my question to you is how and where can we begin to identify trauma that has maybe been given to us that maybe we're giving to our kids that is not ours? Wow, that is such a powerful question. I would say,
1: first, to ask yourself what are the traits or the characteristics or the behaviors in your child that create a visceral physical negative response? What are those things that your kid does? When my kid whines, I literally feel like somebody is scratching a chalkboard. In my body. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, please stop whining. Like it it makes me cringe, right? Mm-hmm. And when I talk to my mom, I remember in my childhood, guess what? Whining was not a thing. I'm in, I'm from a Ganyan household from West Africa. You don't whine, right? And mm-hmm. so my mom came from, you know, a family of 11 kids. I'm sure whining was not tolerated, right? And so there's this generational um pattern of what we would say is just stop whining, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's a generational pattern of an inability to express a discontent, an inability Mm -hmm. to express disappointment, an inability to express frustration with authority, right? And so for me, that means that I have to endure the discomfort that generations past said I'm not going to deal with. I have to sit with that discomfort now that's what cycle breaking looks like. Sometimes I think we want it to be bigger and more glamorous and we want it to be something, you know, something that has like glitz and glam in some way. But sometimes cycle breaking is sitting with your kid and letting them whine, not because you're encouraging them to complain all the time, but because you're embodying something that hasn't been embodied in your family line, which is I'm going to accept you in whatever mood you're in. hmm I'm gonna accept you in whatever mood you're in and your voice, even when I don't like it, is still valuable. What if our kids grew up believing that? What if our kids grew up believing, I know my mom's not gonna agree with me, but it's safe for me to share my opposing view with her. It's Mm -hmm. safe for me to tell her how I really feel and what I really think, right? I think it has to start with us tolerating those things in our kids, but I will also say this, When we think about what it means to build a meaningful connection and attachment with our kids, Mm -hmm. it's rooted in this thing called co-regulation, right? Mm -hmm. Co-regulation is the process of a parent maintaining a sense of calm in the midst of their child's chaos. Mm -hmm. But that Mm -hmm. means we have to have the resources to be calm in the midst of any chaos, and many right. of us, our hearts and our minds, we so badly want to be calm when our kids are throwing tantrums, but we're trying to put out a fire when the fire's already burned down half the house. <laughs> right. right. You can either you can either <laughs> respond to the fire as the fire shows up, or um, as my good friend Dr. Becky says, you can fireproof your house. Right. Like the middle of the fire is not the time to start fireproofing your house. The fire is already blazing. Right. That means that you have to care about yourself enough to give yourself, outside of being a parent, the resources to deal with things that make you upset, things that make you frustrated, things that make you sad, things that trigger you and figuring out what things trigger you before your kid freaks out and then sends you to a place where you end up screaming because if you're always trying to learn how to be calm in the middle of a storm, even biologically, we're not meant to do that. The part of our brain that uh, utilizes logic, Mm -hmm. that part is shut off when we're in our trauma response. Right. It's a survival brain. So if you grew up surviving by shutting down, you're going to shut down. Mm -hmm. If you grew up surviving by lashing out and fighting, you're going to do that. If you grew up surviving by freezing and just not responding to the people around you, icing everyone out, that's what you're going to do so it's about rewiring those automatic responses through first loving ourselves the way that we want to love our kids.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. And you talked about making sure we have the resources to fireproof our house. What do, what do some of those resources look like? Where do we find these resources? As a therapist,
1: I would be very remiss to not say therapy, <laughs> but I'll also say non-judgmental community. Healing happens scientifically. Healing happens quicker in community. In safe spaces. Yeah. In safe spaces. And you know, what's even more powerful. I love that you just said the word safe spaces. Healing requires that you first feel safe. That's not just an emotional reality.
0: And I love that you brought that up because you talked about creating a safe space for your child that no matter what they're going to deal with outside of the world, they have to have a safe space. So when we're looking at trauma and how things are happening that are going to traumatize our children right today, right now, last week, at least they have a safe space at home where healing can happen. Now, earlier you talked about unresolved trauma. One, how do we begin to resolve trauma? And two, can we resolve it? Or is trauma one of those things that we start the process and our children finishes the healing? Does that question make sense? It does make sense. And honestly,
1: I think the answer is both. I think it's both. One, I think that because healing and humanity is so complex, there is not just one generational issue, one generational thing that needs to be healed, that one person needs to heal, and then it's just done with. It's incredibly complex, especially as we partner with each other and have children. I mean, let's say you dealt with a generational pattern of, you know, screaming Mm-hmm. And then you partner with someone who already has that generational pattern, right? And that, and they haven't really dealt with that in that way. It's deeply nuanced, deeply complex. And so I heard this quote, I'm gonna butcher it. So it essentially was saying that I don't think there's one person who comes down the line and saves everybody. Mm-hmm. I think there's one person who has the opportunity to heal one of the issues related to the family line. And then also that same person brings out like a a generational gift, a generational blessing. Like they bring that, like, like a seed that's bursting through the the soil. They bring that to fruition into the world and that family line. I thought that was so beautiful. But trauma can be resolved in the body. And people often wonder, what does that look like? Does that look like I don't remember Mm -hmm. what happened to me? Does that look like what is that? So Resolution of trauma, what that looks like is being able to cognitively remember the situation that happened if it's something that you already remember and being able to be maybe sad about it but not overwhelmed by that sadness, being able to extract wisdom from that experience and apply it to your present without it letting uh, you see the future through a lens of fear trauma keeps you in a cycle of fear. And so there's a difference between awareness and fear. Awareness says this is possible. Fear says this is going to happen and when. And so you're always alert. You're always looking for that. So that's what resolution of trauma looks like. It looks like being able to tell your story, still cry about it because it is sad and you are human and it matters that you are wounded. But being able to say, I can still live presently presently in the day de- today and the moments of the past don't overwhelm me in the moment. I'm not overwhelmed by those emotions. I'm not overwhelmed by the thoughts of that thing and I have mm-hmm. a hope for the future.
0: I love that. When we do deal with trauma and we're trying to make sure that we don't become fearful and and have it where it stops us from being able to be productive, what are the best things to do. And even in this instance mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the shooting in the grocery store, there are plenty of people that they don't want to go to the grocery store right now. They're scared. Yeah, there are plenty of children valid. who heard about what happened. They don't want to go to the grocery store. So how do we start to deal with those things? How do we start to bring healing within our home? I am a total advocate of therapy. So I say, get, you know, get a therapist yes. for sure. But when we're in our home and we're the primary, you know, people, um, that have to create these safe spaces and help our, ourselves and our children heal, what is the best way that we can do that?
1: I think for everybody, it's a little bit different when it comes to fruition. But the truth is, the formula for resilience is this vacillation between safety and risk. Like you rest in safety and then you take a little bit of a risk, then you go back to safety. And because you have that home base of safety, you feel encouraged and emboldened to take Mm -hmm. a little more of a risk, to like take a little bigger risk, right? That is the formula for resilience. I think many of us, because of the trauma we experience, we think the right thing to do is just to jump all the way back in. And Mm -hmm. I think what's so beautiful about the story that you shared is you provided that safety, right? Because your kid's safety is you. Mm -hmm. And so if mommy wants to keep going, then I feel safe going. If mommy says this is going to be okay, then I feel safe continuing following her leadership. Right. And so for many of us, we we are the adults in our lives. Right. And Mm -hmm. so allowing our our inner voice, allowing our inner perspective of what feels safe and what doesn't feel safe guide us because what can happen is think of like a broken leg for a runner. You're rehabilitating it. You stay off of it for a while. If you start running even a couple days before you should, you're going to cause even more damage, even more time recovering. And I think that's what a lot of us do. We're like, well, I should just be fine going to a grocery store. If you're not, start with ordering groceries. Start with that or start with going to the grocery store, but always with a friend.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Start with going to a grocery store to do pickup instead of walking inside, Mm. right? It's okay for you to go at your pace. I think that what that requires is having a home base of safety. Mm -hmm. What is your home base of safety? And I think for many black people in America, a lot of us don't know what that is. And
0: I think you said it earlier, it's community.
1: Yep. It's the intangible connection
0: we have with each other that nobody can destroy. Mm -hmm. That's what our safety is. I've seen, you know, different posts showing up about how as Black Americans, we do experience these traumas and then we're just expected to just go on. Go to work the next day, send your children to school the next day. This is the culture we live in. I mean, even aside from trauma, there's we don't honor a culture of like rest and rejuvenate and take care of yourself. Um, What would you say to that or encourage parents to do again, not only as parents, but as people?
1: I wanted to say this. There is no. Formula, no word I could give that could be a perfect solution because we all have different levels of accessibility, and so I don't want to give like a slap a bandaid. Like go on a vacation, go on a Disney cruise with your kids, and forget the system. Many of us, um, it's a it's a painfully symbiotic relationship. We need the system to survive when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to taking care of our children, even when the system puts our lives at risk, and that is an incredibly traumatizing reality to live in. But I will say this, we realize outside of our home we have very little to no control. And so we have created rhythms
0: of rest at home for us. I love that. Rhythms of rest.
1: Yeah. And and our kids are they're catching on. They're young. They're I mentioned to you earlier, uh, four and twenty-one months, they're they're young, but they're catching on because mm-hmm. th- during the week it's pick up your clothes, pick up this. Okay. Take your, take your leftover dinner, put it in the trash, whatever it is. But come the weekend, it's, we're not asking you to clean up your room. We're not asking you to pick up your toys. This is your, like, we want you to know rest. And many of our childhoods was get up, yeah. put on some Anita Baker. <laughs> and That's, uh, that's such you, a lesson. Now you got to clean. Now you say it, I'm over
0: here <laughs> cringing, like, don't let them clean. <laughs> let yeah, it go yes. this weekend Ooh, like yep. it makes me cry. Oh so it's it is such a lesson and such that is such a practice and just like letting things go for a moment I have I, I feel like I can I literally could ask you questions for so long um but I did think of a question when you're talking about you know ways that we can help our children heal and like I said I am a total advocate of therapy I love therapy I have mm. a therapist and my husband and I have a therapist together I yeah. look into therapy for my children one thing that I personally have run into is that therapy still has a negative stigma around it and I feel like I tried to prep my children a long time ago I kind of always knew like one day we're all going to therapy because I think everybody needs it everybody needs a you know person that they don't feel like is going to judge them at all that they're not going to get in trouble with and so I feel like for years I kind of was like one day we're all going to do it and now that day has come and my children are still like therapies for crazy people and we're in a pandemic so therapy's online and I, I kid you not my child has just sat there and looked at the computer and been like yeah no so how do we as parents like if we want to give that to our children how what do we do
1: Yes, that is such an amazing question, such a powerful question. So what we do is we go to therapy long before we ask them to go. And when we communicate certain things, when we're giving them grace, when we are giving them another chance, when we're showing them forgiveness, when we are asking questions, we take the principles of therapy that we're applying to our lives, our personal lives, and then we apply them to our parenting, right? Right. You know, mommy was talking to her therapist and mommy realized that sometimes she gets really, really mad because she has really big feelings. Do you ever feel that way? Mm-hmm. My four-year-old will be like, yeah, mommy said I can't watch Ninjago, so I'm very mad. And I'm like, yeah, you get really mad. And then what do you do? And he's like, I punch. And I'm like, yeah. And, and mommy screams when she's really mad, you know, and it's like, oh, my, my therapist taught me that we can do some deep breathing. Mm -hmm. You want to try it with me? And my little adorable four-year-old will put his hand over my heart and go. Oh, that's so beautiful. With me. And before I used to try and get him to do deep breathing by himself. Like when he was upset, I'd be like, okay, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. And that does not work. But you want to know what made him want to come do deep breaths with me. is him seeing me talk to my husband, get frustrated and stop and take a deep breath. Mm. Our kids, unfortunately, the world is going to affect how they perceive things, even when we're speaking against it. Right. But when our kids see the benefit of therapy to us mm-hmm. and to them, and we take those principles. Listen, if my kids never want to go to therapy. I'm taking every single thing I know as a therapist, <laughs> every single thing I know as a client, and I'm applying it to that my life. Yeah. right. And when they're ready... When they want that safe space, because I'll tell you what, that's honestly why I used to work with kids. That's why I had to stop. I was like, I can no longer sit here as you say yes and no mm-hmm. and play with a fidget spinner. I <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> but I'm realizing when they're ready to open up. Yeah. When they're ready and really they're watching you to say, is this safe? Mm-hmm. Is she masking therapy as, as something that's really a punishment that she's trying to make it seem good?
0: Mm hmm. That's so spot on. I felt that way as a teenager when my mom tried to send me to therapy. I was like, no, you go to therapy.
1: (laughs) That's how I felt. Yes. I mean, you're speaking exactly to the point. When our kids see us do something, our kids are always going to follow our example no matter what, whether we want them to or not. If they see us avoiding something, they're going to avoid it too, no matter how well we speak about it. Mm -hmm. If they see us embracing something with joy and excitement and curiosity, they're going to get curious and excited and joyful about that thing too.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm going home. I'm taking all my therapy notes. (laughs) Yes. I have one other thing that I really want to to
1: throw into the mix Mm -hmm. before our time here is over. I think it's so important for us when we apologize to our kids to ask for their forgiveness. Speak on it. When we say sorry, to not use sorry as a band-aid to tell them be quiet I acknowledge that I'm wrong and that's as far as it's gonna go but to give our children the power to say I hope you can forgive me do you forgive me so super vulnerable last night my son did not sleep I mentioned this to you before we started recording he was like can I sleep with you I was like Sure. Worst decision of my life. He came into our room and was like, mommy, do you see the dinosaurs? Like he was just up and I was so tired. And I ended up being like, Levi, go to sleep. And I like kind of snapped and barked at him almost. And this morning he said, mommy, were you mad at me? You screamed at me yesterday. And I said, you know what, Levi, you're right. I did scream at you yesterday. I was really upset at you. There's nothing wrong with mommy being upset, but there is something wrong with the, what mommy does when she is upset. And mommy did scream at you, and that is not okay. I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Or can you forgive me? I either said one of those. Do you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And he said no. And you mm-hmm. know what? Want to know what I say? Instead of, you need to forgive me. Why not? Come on. I said, okay. okay. I hope that one day you can. What happens when I don't force him to forgive me is Every single time when he's ready, whether it's an hour or a couple of days, he comes back and says, mommy, I forgive you. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Our children need to know that we care so much about their feelings and about their emotional experiences that when we hurt them, the ball is actually on their in their court. Yeah. They actually do have the authority to forgive people. Mm -hmm. And we are the people who need forgiveness people who raise them, the people who spend every day with them. We need their forgiveness. And I'm realizing that so many adults, I say this to my husband all the time, I feel like I get to see what happens when kids don't get to live in safe spaces, yeah. emotionally, and physically, all of it. There's so many adults who don't know how to forgive or hold on to the power of forgiveness and wield it over people because it's been the first time they've had the ball in their court. It's the first time. So I'm I'm holding you hostage. Wow.
0: Girl, how are you gonna leave us with that? <laughs> I'm gonna have to have <laughs> you come back for a part two, because there's so much I, I, I to talk to you about. <laughs> and I would, I would love absolutely that. I would love, love that. it. That. Before we go today, I do want to ask. So I'm an educator and I like to try to give my audience like homework to do. So in the realm of what we've been talking about today, what is some homework for us that we can start right now to try to build our skills and start our healing and whatever else. (laughs) Mm. I want you
1: in a moment that you are feeling super frustrated, not, not for your kid, but for you Mm -hmm. when you are feeling really frustrated to say right now, I feel blank and that is okay. Right now, like to say it out loud right now, I feel sad and that is okay. Until we accept our full range of emotions, we're not going to accept them in our kids. Mm. We have to be okay with our full range of emotions. And when we're okay and safe with ourselves and accept ourselves in our full range of emotions, we can begin the process of doing that for our kids too.
0: I love that. Kobe, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for coming today, being here, sharing thank you for so me. much wisdom, teaching us to lead by example to love ourselves first. I love what you ended with and just learning how to accept our own emotions and our own range of emotions so that we can learn how to be comfortable with that around our children. And before we go, I want to know if there's anything exciting coming up for you um, that our friends should know about.
1: Yes, absolutely. I am writing my very first forthcoming book, and it's a powerful book called Why Am I Like This? And it's a book that is going to talk about how some of the everyday patterns that we can't change are rooted in the unaddressed trauma that we need to look at. And I think it's going to be a powerful book for parents as we try to figure out, why can't I stop screaming at my kids? Why can't I stop getting upset when my kid says this? Well, it's your turn to heal, not just to be a good parent, but to heal so that you can be a good parent naturally, right? So that's coming out April of next year. Keep your eyes peeled. Stay up to date with my process and my other pieces of writing on Instagram at Kobe Campbell underscore. And same with Twitter. I share my thoughts on there so you can keep up with me in those places.
0: That is amazing. I'm going to buy that. Tell me when the pre-order is out. I'm definitely going to get it. I already know just oh, based for on sure. talking to you today listening to you on other spaces and platforms like that is going to be an amazing book much needed right next to my what happened to you book on my bookshelf when it when it makes yes. it into my bookshelf because it'll be next to me on my bed for a while but thank you again <laughs> so much all right my friends I want you to make sure that you keep up with Kobe on Instagram at Kobe Campbell underscore and make sure to check her out at KobeCampbell.com. So thank you all for tuning in and I will catch you guys next week. Parenting for the Culture is executive produced by Cody and Tommy Oliver. Our senior producer is Crystal Hill. Art is by Koi Madison. Parenting for the Culture is a Black Love Podcast Network production.